0: Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye, became the greatest sharpshooter known to man. He then joined the Avengers. This is what he does when he is an Avenger. I'm Eddie Webb, and today I'm going to talk about some larger context and additional reading for the Matt Fraction Hawkeye series today on Speechless. Hello and welcome to episode six of Speechless, kind of a epilogue or uh, additional reading, if you want, appendix to the previous series. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the previous five episodes. Like I said, that is a uh, run that is very important to me, and it's something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. So I thought, hey, I'll just babble for five hours into a microphone, and, and uh, I will say that at the time of recording, this, at least one other person has appreciated. So I'm glad that there's there's a. Some people who are really uh, enjoying this so far. Uh, but the reason why I wanted to do six episodes is that um, I think there may be some people, like myself, actually, who want to know more about some of the what happens to Clint before and after this, how we got to hear some of the larger Marvel continuity. Because to be honest, before this series, uh, Hawkeye was not a character I was super invested in. You know, if anything, I really thought of him as kind of a Green Arrow ripoff. Uh, So I wasn't really sure kind of how much of this stuff already existed, how much of this stuff was larger Marvel continuity. And so if you're coming off of either reading the series or even just watching the the show, uh, I thought I'd give you some of that context. And then also talk a little bit about the Disney Plus show. Uh, Because it's relatively recent, I'm not going to go too deep into spoilers for the Disney Plus show. So if you've read this, comic and want to go back and watch the show i'll try to avoid too much on that front but i thought it might also be useful to talk about how this connects up to the disney plus show and my thoughts on that as well so uh let's start with the card continuity and i'll get to go through the different uh uh, characters and talk a little bit about them um so clint barton obviously is, is probably the biggest one uh Hawkeye has been around actually since Tales of Suspense 57, where he was originally an Iron Man villain. He appeared in a couple of different issues uh, with Iron Man. And for those who don't know, um, in the early 60s, not every Marvel comic had uh, its own separate series Many of them were much more uh, what we now call anthology titles, where they would have uh, two different stories in there. And originally, it's because Marvel had also uh, suspense comics and romance comics and horror comics. And over time, as the superhero comics became more and more part of the business, they started to try to put those comics into the anthology shows or series, because uh, due to a deal with their publisher. They weren't allowed to actually add any more comic series. The distributor only carried a certain amount. I think it was eight. I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, but Tales of Suspense was one of those. And uh, Iron Man originally was the backup series and eventually became uh, the Iron Man comic in all but name. Uh, so, um, and there's another one I don't remember who. I think Tales of Suspense also had the uh, Chiman Torch solo. A comic I'm not, I'm not sure on that but anyway Iron Man was just starting to become a uh, popular character so Hawkeye was a supervillain that was introduced against him not in a very interesting or convincing way but of more significance is that his second appearance he also ended up romantically entangled with another supervillain named the Black Widow so Black Widow was also a supervillain when she was originally introduced so uh, fast forward a little bit, um, and then he eventually joins the Avengers in issue 16, uh, and this was a pretty big deal at the time because uh, Captain America had just been introduced in issue 4. And one of the things that uh, Stan Lee was noticing writing the Avengers is that while it was great to have uh, these big characters like Iron Man 4 and, uh, well, arguably, Ant-Man In here, they also had their own separate solo series. It was becoming harder to juggle the continuity between the solo series and the team book. Uh, So uh, the the obvious choice was to change the roster of the Avengers. What was not the obvious choice was that with the exception of Captain America, every other member of the roster was previously a supervillain. So it was not only Hawkeye, uh, but it was also Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, who were both members of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants from the X-Men comic. So three of the four Avengers were actually reformed supervillains and reformed in a question mark. Uh, so for quite a while, uh, a year or so, um, this group, which is commonly known colloquially as uh, Captain's Cookie Quartet, uh, there was a lot of bickering on the team and actually had an interesting dynamism to it. While the Avengers had bickered previously, not to this level, and particularly uh, Hawkeye and Cap quite a lot. Uh, but during this kind of early era, Clint uh, establishes himself eventually taking on Cap America's ethos of not killing people. Uh, he wasn't really a murderer beforehand, but it starts to become really an entrenched part of his identity uh, in the late 60s run of the Avengers. Uh, and then Hawkeye becomes uh, an Avenger for a good long time. He's not actually a founding Member of the Avengers, but he's pretty close. Uh, he's with—he's pretty much known as an Avenger for decades. Uh, at one point in time, he ditches the Hawkeye gimmick uh, and actually takes uh, Harry, Henry Pym's uh, Pym particle formula thing. Uh, it's really big, uh, but he becomes Goliath. And so basically, he's effectively a giant man with a different name, and so he's Goliath for I think about a year and a half. But then uh, something changes, and uh, he decides to leave the Avengers for a while. Then he comes back with a different costume, but then he eventually changes back to his classic purple and black costume. Uh, He And during this run on the Avengers, he's falling in and out of love with uh the black widow. Uh, the black widow is still a super villain at this point. So that's kind of the I've turned to good. I can turn you to I can I can redeem you. And she's like I don't know if I want to be redeemed. And her struggles with her Russian spy masters and her slowly becoming more enchanted with the West. Uh so in the Matt Fraction series, uh the the the, the kind of talk of his relationship with Natasha was definitely kind of the We dated once, but it was a long time ago. And then it goes all the way back to... Marvel time is weird, but for our purposes, it goes back to the 60s. Uh, I should briefly talk about Marvel time if you are not familiar with the concept. Uh, Basically, when Marvel first started, uh, it was assumed that... The adventures moved at the same pace as everyone else. So they would frequently name drop the year. Uh, It was assumed that, like, if uh, two years passed in comic book, the two years are passing inside the Marvel Universe as well. Uh, After a while, it became awkward. And so they started to come up with reasons why the characters were aging. So, for example, uh, at one point, Mr. Fantastic actually took an accident, happened to him, and, and aged him back. And it, there's all the storyline of him getting older and it's harder for him to stretch, but then he aged backwards and became younger. Um, obviously, people like Nick Fury and Captain America, they've been around because of super Serum or whatever. It became increasingly implausible for all characters to go through this. So uh, at some point in time, um, people started aging slowly. You can see this most noticeably in the Spider-Man comic because uh, Peter Parker was in high school when Spider-Man started. And it's about five or six years before he leaves high school, I want to say. So it's not too implausible. But then uh, he goes into college, and the college application process takes about a year of real time. And then he's in college for quite a long time. Uh, Eventually, he leaves college, I think, in the 80s or 90s. Um, And now in modern day, he's in his mid to late 20s. So the idea is that at a certain point in time, what's happening in the Marvel universe, the time steadily decreases, but the modern references still update. So it makes no damn sense, but it's basically just – at one point in time, the writers just said, we're just not going to bother to explain this because they just need to be in their mid-late 20s all the time. So uh, we get weirdness where like, certain characters actually do grow up and other characters stay the same age. It's a nightmare. Don't bother. Uh, but in Marvel time, it is still established that uh, Clint and Natasha's relationship is definitely an older one. Uh, they were in love. They did dates. They're not dating anymore. Um, they are now good friends and freshman colleagues. Uh, so around uh, the 80s, it was decided that um, they noticed that the uh, X-Men comics were starting to get very popular and spinoff comics were also selling well. So they would ha- they had uh, the New Mutants spinoff from the Uncanny X-Men. Uh, and then I think they were starting to move into uh, Excalibur at this point. And they were realizing that sales just weren't dropping. They could make more X-Men comics in sales, which just not decrease. So they felt they could probably do the same thing with the Avengers. And so they formed the West Coast Avengers. Basically, it would be the Avengers team that worked in the L.A. area. Um, and so now you're starting to see some of the subtle L.A. references. In fact, one of the issues, the Kate Bishop issues in the manufacturing room was called West Coast Avenger. It was a nod towards his era. Uh, and this is the point where Clint is a founding Avenger of the West Coast Avengers. He was the leader and founder of West Coast Avengers. Uh, Iron Man was the only uh, – on yes, Iron Man was the only other – Avenger at the time, who's a founding Avenger, who joined. Uh, Her- uh, Henry Pym did join later, although in the consulting development originally, but then eventually he became an actual full fledged uh, Avenger. Uh, and one of the characters that came over was Mockingbird, uh, Mockingbird, uh, which is uh, Morse. Um, she clearly was interested in Clint, and they had a uh, very clear attraction to each other pretty early on. This was established more in um, his solo run, which I'm going to uh, get to in a second. Understand that the solo run's happening kind of at the same time as the early issues of the West Coast Avengers. Uh, But eventually, um, Clint and uh, Mockingbird get married. And so they actually are husband and wife. That doesn't last very long. Uh, It's uh, around the 20s or 30s of the West Coast Avengers where um, the stress of Clint's leadership of the West Coast Avengers uh, is struggling with Mockingbirds combined with the fact that uh, Mockingbird is a sh- former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Uh, she is a spy and someone who is threatening her, she eventually kills. And the uh, stress over that death lingers over her because she knows that Clint has at this point in time firmly eternalized Cap's code of not killing to the point where he constantly admonishes the rest of the team to make sure they're not killing. It's a very big part of Clint's psychological makeup. And so when Clint eventually finds out, uh, he really feels he can't trust her because you know she's not only lied to him, but also she murdered someone. Uh, so it's like, we can't, we can't possibly go along. And then, of course, he handles it badly because he's stressed out as a team leader. And a certain amount of 80s-era toxic masculinity is not recognized as such, Uh, but they do eventually get a divorce. Um, Or more accurately, they intend to split up. Uh, Because I will again point out the fact this is the mid-80s, and the divorce paperwork was actually signed in Mad Fractions' run in 2012, Marvel time. But um, it's clear that they are not going to reconcile. I have a couple times, Clint makes an effort to reconcile and a couple times. Uh, Bobby Morris tries to make it uh, attempt to reconcile. But it never really goes anywhere because they just can't get past the she's Like, some people need to die. And Clint just can't accept that. And also, Clint's not great with women, which is something that Matt Fraction when actually does delve into in a way that throughout the writing of Clint Barton has not always been clear. Sometimes it's just bad writing. Sometimes it's just needless drama. Uh, but... Fraction actually tied in the bone. and like no, Clint's just not great. at are with women. Um, but um, during this other uh, edition, uh, Hawkeye had a, a brief solo series, uh, and uh, the 83, Volume 1 series, uh, Issue 4, is when Clint loses his hearing. Um, he and Hawkeye are forced to fight to a death um, after there was a brainwashing sound frequency that villain was using, and so in order to not kill Mockingbird, Uh, Clint uses a sonic arrowhead to destroy his hearing. Uh, And through that, um, he was left 80% deaf and was given hearing aids at the end of the issue. Uh, So this is a point of contention for a couple of reasons. One, for the next 13 years, we're we're never brought up again. Uh, and this ties to the fact that uh, limited s- series were often seen as semi-canonical uh, in the sense that they had to fit into the canon of the ongoing series, but the ongoing series often never referenced them. Uh, annuals were often the same way, as well as filling issues, which were, like I mentioned before, issues that were done usually by a different creative team to buy time for uh, the existing creative team. So... While you can read them alongside West Coast Avengers and they make sense, the events of the Solo series are not often referenced by the West Coast Avengers, which was Hawkeye's main series at the time. So uh, the uh, writer for West Coast Avengers, which uh, I don't remember at the moment who that was, um, but uh, they just wouldn't reference it, and the future writers never referenced reference it. So it was never really retconned. It just didn't happen. And he got his hearing aids were... Made by Tony Stark, and so they gave him super hearing, which again was inconsistently reference. reference. Um, then uh, Onslaught happens, which is a whole other thing. Uh, if you actually want to know about Onslaught, I actually recommend uh, the podcast J.M. Miles explain the X-Men. Um, they did a whole run of the Onslaught uh, event from the X-Men's perspective, which makes sense because it's primarily an X-Men crossover. Uh, but they talk about some other parts of the universe. But one of the Results of Onslaught was that Fantastic Four and the Avengers uh, issues were actually canceled. And uh, the two comics were outsourced to the people who were at the time forming Image Comics. So for 12 issues, both the Avengers and uh, Fantastic Four were written by a couple of different people and were very explicitly retcons. So uh, after that... Sale did not go well for that because it was intended to be kind of a reboot so people can get on to what was believed to be the best selling comics of the time. It didn't work out. So uh there was an event called Heroes Reborn where those heroes were they realized that they were in a parallel universe and so they were able to escape to come back. And they were reborn as brand new people. It allowed for a fresh start for some of these characters. Um, without this so they they could exist in same continuity as their existing personas, but they weren't necessarily beholden to that continuity. Uh, but he came back with his hearing fully intact. So he was able to hearing again, which is it is what it is. It's not great, but it's also not, I mean, Professor X has regained and lost his ability to walk several times. So it's kind of my books. Uh, so after that, um, Clint actually ended up as a leader of a team called the Thunderbolts. Uh, the Thunderbolts were an interesting concept around this uh, Onslaught era. With the Fantastic Four and Avengers gone, uh, there was a void for a new superhero team. Um, Marvel heavily promoted the Thunderbolts as this new superhero team that would fill that void. It was revealed at the end of issue one Thunderbolts were secretly the masters of evil where a group of supervillains who were pretending to be superheroes to try to fit into that space and ultimately take over the world through undermining the status quo that superheroes worked with. Uh, it did not go well, and uh, partially because Thunderbolt started to realize that some of them actually enjoyed being heroes and wanted to actually do them to themselves. So um, about 20 issues in um, when their leader, uh, who's revealed to be Zemo, um, he was believed to be killed, so there's an opening for it, and uh, the U.S. government suggested that one of the Avengers should take over. Uh, then the Hawkeye shows up claiming to be the person who's filling that role. Turns out he's lying after like 30 issues, but uh, it actually makes sense. He himself is a redeemed supervillain, so he came from a very kind of uh, understanding perspective. Uh, So he was leader of the Thunderbolts for a while, eventually arrested for uh, ignoring and subverting uh, a U.S. government mandate. Um, Captain America then leads the Thunderbolts. Uh, Over time, Clint then joins the Avengers again. uh, This is kind of in early 2000s and becomes a stable member of the Avengers uh, throughout. Uh, right before we start this series, there was a point where he felt like he genuinely didn't need to kill some people because he was pushed into a corner. Uh, that's when he takes up the Ronan persona because he feels like he cannot taint the Hawkeye name with the things that Clint Barton needs to do. So that's why we had those references to Ronan at the very beginning of this run. Um, but then he Embraces being Hawkeye again throughout the course. So part of the Matt Fracture run is also him coming in terms of being Hawkeye again. Although it's never really stated. You don't need to know that to appreciate the series. Uh, but prior to the run, um, he did start dating uh, another former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, uh, which is Spider-Woman. Uh, and that's why that's, those three women have the place they do in the series. Uh, after this, um, uh, Clint's hearing loss is considered to be canon, so it is referenced more consistently since 2012. Not perfectly, but more than previously. Uh, and in fact, um, his losing his hearing aids is a plot point for at least one of his follow-up uh, solo series. So, his hearing loss is now. Officially canon, and I suspect even with uh, the Disney series, it'll probably continue to be a well-established canon. So that's Clint Barton. Uh, what about Kate Bishop? Much shorter. Um, she's relatively new character, all things considered. Uh, she was introduced in The Young Avengers, which was a series prior to this. Sadly, short-lived series. Uh, but basically, uh, the premise was that um, during Civil War, uh, it was illegal to be superheroes unless you present yourself as part of a... Um, a superhero uh, registration act. Some of the Avengers went rogue uh, and refused to sign. They became the new Avengers, but they became an underground group of people. And that was just a very motley group of people. I was uh, not only Captain America, but also Luke Cage, Spider-Man, Wolverine, just kind of a grab bag of, of heroes who were not wanting to sign up with the registration act at the time. And Venture New Avengers run by Michael Mendes is actually pretty good. I've read it very recently. It's actually quite fun. Uh, but a group of young uh, adults wanted to fill that void, uh, started styling themselves to the Young Avengers, and uh, Kay Bishop was Hawkeye in that lineup. Uh, so that was a, a fun run. Um, there were two series. Each was about 12 issues long. Uh, and then between the two series was Young Avengers Presents, which were a, a, a series of one-shot solo issues featuring each different member of the Avengers. Uh The Avengers are, I think, to this day, primarily known for introducing the, con- the characters of uh, Wiccan and Hulkling, uh, who are uh, uh, a pair of uh, gay characters who are in um, a relationship with each other. And I did a fantastic, wonderful relationship. I, I love Wiccan and Hulkling death. Um, and Wiccan is also one of the uh, Scarlet Witch's children. So again, Marvel time. Uh, for some reason, she has a teenage, almost adult son now because magic and House of M in reason. Uh, after the series, um, uh, she did have at least one solo run. Um, she also started her own version of West Coast Avengers. Uh, she decided that much like uh, Clint, she would go and fight crime on the West Coast based on her experiences from this run. She gets a small group together. It lasts for, I think, about five or six issues. It's sadly cut short for its time. It actually had a really great lineup. It had America Chavez. It had uh Quentin Choir. Um there was a group of just misfit kids who it's like, how do you be a superhero in an age with also when we have things like Instagram and the like. So it was a really fun series about young kids trying to be superheroes in a screwed up world. Um, so if you could pick that up, I actually do recommend it. It's quite a good series, and it really shows a nice parallel of Kate strolling with the same problems that Clint had when he formed his own West Coast Ventures. but it's his own distinct modern thing. It's not a retread of the original uh, series. It's a whole different thing, but you, you continue to see the parallels of the stuff that Clint went through and stuff that Kate's going through. Uh, so yeah, and again, Kate's an ongoing character, although she's more showing up in bits and pieces, uh, whether it's as a secondary character to Clint's own stuff uh, or um, in her own solo series. So she kind of dips in and out of clubs. She's not really like, signed up with the Avengers proper. Um, there's been talk of another Young Avengers comic, especially with rumors that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is putting places in for uh, either Thunderbolts or Young Avengers. So who knows? But uh, Kate is definitely still around, but she's not starring in an ongoing series that I'm aware of. Uh, Barney Barton uh, actually has been a character in this round since Avengers 64. Uh, part of the reason why he is the badass he appears to be in this sim, because he's a former FBI agent who has multiple times infiltrated uh, superhero, sorry, supervillain organizations. Sometimes it's unclear as to whether he's actually on the side of the superheroes or not. Bar- Barney's always been kind of a morally gray character, so him stealing a bunch of money at the end does actually make sense, and his complex relationship with Clint is actually borne out through uh, previous comics. But I'm, I'll be honest, Barney's one of those characters that shows up every once in a while um, and then disappears for long stretches of comic until a creator goes, oh yeah, I used to love Barney Burton and finds a reason to bring it back him, much like Matt Fraction. Uh, so he's not a well-established character. And doing things like uh, reestablishing that Clint used to have hearing loss before and Barney's role in uh, Clint's childhood was such a tabula rasa that it actually more or less fits. It does make it weird that he had lost his hearing, gained it back, lost it again. But then also how much of that was part of the retcon of him being reborn comics continuity. It's a lot, Uh, but it doesn't break anything, but it is, pretty clearly a traditional retcon. It's, this is retroactive continuity is added back in and mostly lines up with what we know given the weirdness of it. So anyway, not much to say about Barney, aside from that. Uh, then um, Whitney Frost slash Madame Mask. Uh, much like Clint, uh, she's also an Iron Man villain. Uh, she was... Uh, originally a love interest of Tony Stark, um, and then she learns that uh, her father was Count Nefaria, who is the head of the Mafia, who is transparently the Marvel version of the Mafia. So um, she eventually ended up as uh, the head of the Mafia. She got into a horrible accident in the Iron Man comic, uh, which disfigured her, and then therefore from there became Madame Mask. So she covered her face. Kind of in a Doctor Doom style. Uh, I mentioned in the last episode that her having being part of the body swapping thing and her tie to the life the life model decoys was kind of a funny reference. Uh, And it is on two fronts. One is that, uh, the Magia have also butted heads with shields off and on. So Madame Mask has occasionally been a antagonist to Nick Fury and the agents of shield, but also she has died so many times, uh, in the, uh, Thunderbolts run. There's actually an entire storyline where, um, in the Avengers, there was a character named Mask who was believed to be a doppelganger of Whitney Frost, but she wanted to become a hero. And in Thunderbolts, the original Whitney Frost found all of these old versions of herself and started to slowly get rid of them because they were making her look bad by being heroic. Uh, so in that run, actually, it talks about how I thought you died. You died this time, this time. Those are all different versions. they are not actually me. And it was actually a neat touch where she became so paranoid, that's the reason why she created all the duplicates of because she was becoming intensely paranoid as the head of the Magia, because people had tried to kill her and almost successfully did so, but luckily they killed duplicates of her. So Fraction I turned that into an actual business of selling bodies so people can reincarnate is an interesting way of not only lampshading the fact that supervillains never really die, but also turning it into an actual plot point in the world. And it makes sense that of the villains to do that, Madame Mask is up there next to maybe Dr. Doom in terms of, oh, well, you didn't really kill me. You killed somebody else that looked like me. Uh, so it's kind of a funny little, yeah, isn't it weird that she keeps dying, and keeps coming back? Kind of moments that actually it gets retconned and explained in an interesting way. And that's why you have the, uh, think of Harold H. Gerald coming back and how that ties into everything. Um, combined with the fact that uh, the West Coast Avengers, the original run uh, with Clint Barton, was always a bit weird. Uh, even by comic book standards. The Avengers generally go off and have big space-faring adventures or battle big things. They're, they're kind of the people who handle the big problems. And West Coast Avengers is like just, they're equally dangerous, but also we're going to fight Wonder Man's brother uh, who Wonder Man is also the person whose mind was used to create the vision, and the vision's going to fight Wonder Man's brother and Wonder Man's brother who believes himself to be the Grim Reaper uh, is also going to resurrects, uh, and Wonder Man's on the team with Vision, and so he try to resurrect who he believes to be is actually the brother and n- neither of these two men. Um, it's kind of the comic weirdness cranked up just a, just a notch. Uh, it's not into satire, but certainly it's the, hey, comics are kind of dumb, so let's actually show how dumb they can be. And so West Coast Avengers is, is not comedic, but certainly has the character recognizing this is weird, right? Um, for example, they had Moon Knight on their team for a while. And Moon Knight is our character who already attracts weirdness. Uh, so it's like, yeah, this is, this is kind of strange. Um, and so Madame Mask being wrapped up into that and putting that all on the West Coast of having that kind of oddness of a, a, a supervillain who sells bodies makes sense. And also this collaboration of supervillains Um When it's transposed into the New York setting, it's meant to be kind of dark and creepy, especially the Kingpin at the lead of it. But then you get to the West Coast Madame Mask side, and it's like, but also it's kind of strange when you think about this for a second. Uh, So it's a nice balance of that, and and, and Madame Mask is actually a pretty good foil for Kate Bishop as a result. She's not distinctly an Avengers or even a Hawkeye villain, but She plays up the strangeness of this with the grounded nature of either Hawkeye really, really well. So, uh, Whitney Frost is a whole thing. Uh, So, I think that's the major kind of continuity points. Um, uh, uh, Hopefully, that will help you reading. I believe most of the stuff is going to be on uh, uh, Marvel Unlimited. Uh, I'm, I know the the Thunderbolt stuff is. I know the like Jungle West Coast Avengers is. I think almost all of the original Avengers run are. So, uh, and Young Avengers, West Coast Avengers, uh, volume two, three, that's all on there. So, enjoy all of that. But, so I guess the next big question is, how does this tie to the Disney Plus series? And the answer is, better than I thought, but not well. Uh, so, I really did love the Disney Plus series, but, Hawkeye is a very different character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So there was a lot that had to change to fit with that character and how that's Clint Barton is not the same character. He's much more an established agent in that universe. His, his circus background's never mentioned, uh, his previous time as Superfilm is not mentioned. He's just not as wisecracking as Clint Barton is, although we see more of that in the Disney Plus series. And in a way that I think goes well. Clint does make the occasional joke, just that's more the tone of Marvel Cinematic Char- Universe characters in general. Uh, and so to ramp it up a little bit isn't too much of a stretch. So we can get closer to that. Um, I think the change of moving Clint away from protecting his building to solving his problem, uh, and straight to to back to his family makes sense. Uh, echo was a character that was not, I haven't even mentioned yet. Um, for those who don't know, uh, echo is a, uh, deaf first person character, first people character. Um, she's originally a character in Daredevil. I don't know much about echo, honestly, and she's relatively new. I think she been introduced in that 15 years. I want to say, uh, uh, What I've seen seems amazing. I'm trying to find more comics about her, but I really only know about her from her appearance in the Hawkeye series. So she's not a traditional Hawkeye character from my understanding. But the juxtaposition of a deaf character with a character of hearing loss was amazing. Uh, And I do want to talk about that to a degree. And and so I'm going to move a little bit into mild spoilers at this point. Everything else I said is stuff that you can get from the internet and early announcements of it. But now we're moving to mild spoilers. Um. Uh. So Echo's positioned as initially a villainous character. Uh, She fills the role that Kazi filled in the comic book series. She is the assassin that gets hired to try to take out Hong Kong. Kazi himself... Is positioned as her interpreter. So Kazi still has a role, but he's not dressed in clown makeup. He's more or less kind of he's different, he has the same nationality, but he otherwise has a pretty different character. Um so the first piece is interesting is uh, by splitting the role, it actually allows for some of the internalization that Kazi had in the comic to become external text. Uh secondly I felt like they the role of interpreter was interesting because a lot of our mass media understanding of interpreters is basically we get from the news, professional interpreters. They're going to repeat exactly what's being said to the best of their ability, translated into the language of the audience listening to it. That's not how. It works with people who you have personal relationship with the an interpreter. Um, interpreters will sometimes just misrepresent what's being said. Sometimes uh, they'll have side conversations where they're not necessarily translating everything uh, because people are complaints and do that kind of stuff. Uh, professional interpreters don't do that, but people who are stepping into the role of interpreter, you know, they are human beings. And I felt like that was largely showcased here. Um, also, the moving between lip-reading and sign was something that I have experienced with uh, people who are deaf. Um, but also, there's a there's a, a disconnect, I guess. There's a, a difference. There's a, a rivalry, almost. Um, there's a difference between people who are deaf and people with hearing loss. And there's a difference between people who became deaf or lost their hearing later in life and people who were born deaf and born with hearing loss. For context, I was born with hearing loss. I've had hearing loss my entire life. Um, and the hearing loss community generally doesn't have a sharp divide. Uh, at, no matter what point you got hearing loss, um, it, it, it's it's not as fine. The biggest divide is uh, people who Embrace the identity of people with hearing loss and people who don't. There's a lot of shame associated with hearing loss, Uh, and it's associated with ageism, right? It's like hearing loss is a sign of getting old, and getting old is something that is perceived culturally as bad. So you want to hide the fact that you have hearing loss. That's why a lot of people who are older refuse to get hearing aids because there's a recognition of that age, and there's a recognition that uh, you are somehow lesser because you need these devices. I don't agree with this for very obvious reasons, but that is part of that community. Um, the deaf community, on the other hand, generally is very proud of their identity. But most of that comes from people who are born deaf. People who become deaf later in life look at it as a general rule. I'm, I'm talking very much abstracts here. Uh, much like people with uh, who develop hearing loss later in life, is that this is something that is shameful, something that should be... Uh, worked around. Um, So, uh, the deaf community, a lot of them look at themselves much like any other marginalized identity. They have their own culture, they have their own language, and erasure of either of those things or uh, subjugation of those things is considered to be offensive. However, and, and there are lots of people who in the deaf community don't consider themselves disabled. They, they're just different identity. Um, people with hearing loss generally feel like they are disabled. And uh, there are those in the deaf community who feel like abled hearing is they don't want that. They, they never want to get able hearing because it, that removes their identity. Uh, you see this dynamic between echo and cleanse. Uh, as a side note, I love the fact that Clint's hearing loss is just chalked up to I'm a guy around lots of live explosions that tracks with a lot of people in uh, difficult, dangerous jobs, uh, military people, uh, police, construction work, that kind of stuff. Hearing loss is a pretty big problem with a lot of people like that if they don't wear proper ear protection. So I'm, I'm glad that that actually is recognized. It's just the hazards of that job. Um, And I appreciate and respect that. But Clint is someone who developed hearing loss later in life in this interpretation. So uh, when Echo is saying things like you are letting your assist devices hold you back, that is a real belief that is echoed by some people in the deaf community. Uh, They feel that there is nothing shameful about being deaf and that people who look at hearing loss in that way are devaluing. The identity of being deaf um, it's I'm being very reductive to a very complicated cultural conflict, but I will say that I have I have directly encountered this viewpoint on several occasions in my life. Uh, people felt like that uh, me getting hearing aids or me uh, trying to get closer to abled hearing was somehow a failure and it is I think on some level, part of the reason why I resisted it for so long, as I talked about in the last episode, is because I allowed that shame to get to me. Uh, The truth of the matter is that there's nothing wrong with either identity, but they are identities that can at times be put at odds against each other. And it was exciting to see a television show engage with that topic, however briefly. But it didn't engage that topic, uh, and so, for example, when Echo destroys Clint's hearing aid, I felt anxiety in that scene. I personally felt myself choke up because that is a nightmare I have had. I have woken up from nightmares of, of my hearing aids being destroyed. I do rely very heavily on my hearing aids. Uh, when my hearing aid battery goes out, I Change it almost immediately, no matter what soldier situation I'm in, uh, because that bothers me. Uh, To a deaf person, if I don't rely on it, I don't need it, then I am free from these assistive devices. Uh, And it goes into ASL. Clint doesn't know ASL. I don't know ASL. A lot of people with hearing loss don't necessarily know sign language. Um, He is in the same boat I am, which is that I picked up a few signs and I probably should be better at it, but I'm not. Which again, I I really sympathize with because on a long enough timeline, eventually I'm going to lose all my hearing. Uh, I've already lost a lot of it. I will lose it when I get older. That's just the nature of getting older. Uh, So all my doctors told me Eventually, I'm going to lose most if not all of my hearing. That's just how my life is going to go. I probably should learn sign language, but I haven't. Uh, so it's, although Clint got his hearing loss later in life, um, there's still that sense of when you're older, it's like, I don't want to learn a new language, or I don't have other people to talk to, so it's hard for me to practice. Um my family have also been slowly learning sign language, and we've been talking more about it. Uh, I, there's a, a tabletop role-playing game I've backed called Over Isles, um, which it uses both uh, ASL and BSL, which is British Sign Language. Um, and I'm hoping that will help me to learn more. Uh, but it's a, oh, it's not a language you can use. Like, There's no dueling over ASL or BSL. Um, because it's a language that really needs another person to, to to work with, and there aren't a lot of people who are speaking it or using it, I should say. So, uh, I really appreciate that the Disney Plus series acknowledged that there is a complex relationship and a difference between being deaf and being a person with hearing loss. Uh, the Matt Fraction comic muddies that a bit, but not necessarily in a bad way, because again, as someone who was born with hearing loss, I did go to school and I did learn sign. Um, I stopped using it. And so therefore, much like I'm sure if you've taken a foreign language in high school, if you haven't used it, you've probably forgotten it in your 40s or 50s. So I'm in the same boat in that respect. I know as much sign language as I know Spanish. I don't use it so therefore I've lost that skill. Uh but much like Clint's um when I learned at a young age that I had deafness, even though it was temporary in Clint's case, um it's the I should probably learn this because there's a good chance it will come back. Um and it makes sense given both Barney and Clint's ultimate careers that the chance of becoming either permanently deafened or at least deafened again temporarily is real. So it made sense to continue to use sign language. It's obviously a huge narrative hole that they have never mentioned either of them using this for now, but it is a light retcon that I'm happy to live with because again, it maps my experience. Like if you don't use it, you don't think of it. And, um, it's telling that Clint doesn't sign very often. Barney does most of the signing in the series. Um, but anyway, so the fact that Clint in the Disney Plus series only has a little bit of sign tracks with my lived experience. In uh, similar, um, the jokes about hearing loss, uh, that's another complex topic. Um, in the Disney Plus series, uh, Kate makes a texting joke of like, hey, at least they didn't call you hawk ear. It's a bad joke, and it's arguably a joke in bad taste. Uh, but I want to talk about it a bit because in the show, Clint no sells it. It's like, you know, haha. It, it, it's a bad joke. Clint does not react well to it, but he's not offended uh, because they have developed a relationship. And this goes back to my comment in the previous episode about uh, who can make these kinds of jokes. Um, Barney and Clint also made jokes about their respective disabilities. Uh, And I think that's fair. I have, my family made jokes about my disability. Um, So my friends have, and at times I have pushed back. And whenever I have, everyone's been immediately respectful of my boundaries. Uh, For a while, jokes didn't bother me. And over time they did. People have different relationships with their disabilities. Uh, and and it's it it comes out so complicated. Uh, but I remember um once when I was working at uh, CCP, uh, which is a at the time a video game MO manufacturer in Atlanta. That the Atlanta branch has closed down. They're now based in... well, they're always based in Reykjavik, but the branch I worked at in North America is closed down. But in the office we worked in, I it was a wide open. There were no individual office spaces. There were no uh, cubicle walls. It was just (coughs) Uh, all of us sitting at desks in a big open concrete room. So I could not hear people coming up behind me. This was before I got my hearing aids. And we had these rolling whiteboards that we could use to write stuff on and have impromptu meetings around our desks, was the intent. Uh, and I was the planner for our group, and it was double sided rolling whiteboard thing, kind of in a triangle. Uh, so I could have one side for planning, and there's another side that was being used. And so on it, I wrote, um, I can't hear you coming up. Please don't surprise me. And I've uh, written on Marker And i had it there for a few weeks. And then I went to a convention for a week and I came back. And the sign had been changed to, uh, I can't hear you. I am plus one backstab. <laughs> Which is a DD d joke. And uh, I still think that's funny. I know who made the joke. We have had a conversation. It was not done with malice. It was a friend who was trying to help contextualize to a bunch of gaming nerds what my problem was. Uh, and it did help. It actually helped some people understand better what I was struggling with. Sometimes humor can bridge that gap, and sometimes people use humor to try to connect to someone. And sometimes, depending on the relationship, that humor is done in terms of of ribbing. Uh, So I felt that moment in the Disney Plus series was genuine. Again, mapped Mm -hmm. with my lived experience, and I didn't find it offensive. Uh, Other people have found it offensive, and that's okay. We are not a monolith. People with hearing loss are not a monolith. Everyone has different perspectives. Uh, I didn't personally find it offensive. Um, That doesn't mean other people don't have a right to find that scene offensive. There are some people who genuinely do not want any kind of humor cast at them in regards to their hearing loss. And again, that's valid. Uh, there are days when I just don't want to hear it, and it's like, yeah, you know, not today. I will joke you know, sometimes, say, yeah, too soon, and it's like it's only forty years ago. Uh, but on the flip side, I often make jokes about my own hearing loss. Um, for example, uh, a lot I because uh, my bionic hearing aid is enabled, and it's actually a really fantastic piece of technology. Um, and a lot of my friends either work in IT or otherwise like to play with, uh, you know, different kinds of technological gadgets. I can tell you, oh yeah, I can, second stream Bluetooth to my hearing aid and I can tune it off. And like when I'm on car rides, I can just push a button and it mutes the hearing aid. It's hard for me to hear anybody. So if someone's being annoying. I just show my hearing aid off. Uh, and I was like, all you have to do is, you know, four decades of crippling hearing loss. That's, and all this can be yours. So I joke about my hearing loss in that respect. Uh, But it it allows me to have a conversation of, I'm not suffering. I'm not challenged by my disability. I'm not striving and overcoming my hearing loss. It's just who I am. It's just a part of me, and it's fine. Yes, my life is different, but I'm not not hurting. I'm not suffering. Calm down. And humor allows me to do that. Uh, But tying me back to the last... Points on the, the series is that there are a couple of scenes with Clint where, uh, how he engages with his hearing aid by taking it out and shutting it off. Um, a point where Kate's talking to him about something he's going to hear, and then uh, the waitress comes up and he puts the hearing aid in and turns it on. She said, like, Did you have that off the whole time? And he just doesn't talk about it. When that scene played, my whole family turned and looked at me, and I was like, What, like, do you do that? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And then I pretended to mess with my hearing aid. Um, Because the truth is, yes. Sometimes I shut off my hearing aid when I don't want to hear what someone's talking about. I'm not going to lie about it. It's a thing I do because I can. Um, There's a great TikTok of a a deaf TikToker. And she says, um, uh, oh, you like to sound my voice? I guess you turn off your hearing aid. Oh, wait, you can't. And I love it because it's so true. It's a thing that we can do that abled people can't do. It's great. Um, it's not the of fact that we're disabled, but it, again, our experience is different. Sometimes we get advantages for our lived experience. And they were playing for humor in a very human way. And again, that's why I think Kate's joke plays well for me because Clint uses his disability to get one on her in different ways and ultimately does it more times than she does. So uh, her bad joke is kind of like, oh yeah, well, you can't hear. It's it's, it's like he owned you. He just completely owned you and those those very humorous exchanges. And again, the relationship is meant to be kind of mildly antagonistic from a place of affection. So um, I love the Disney Plus series. It is different from that fraction series, but also very clearly derived from it. The tracksuit mafia are there. The scene with the trick arrows and the car chase is there. Um, the relationship of Kate with her family is there. Uh, but you know, Swordsman is not there. Swordsman's a whole other thing. I could do a whole podcast on his swordsman relationship with Clint Barton. It's not any of the stuff we talked about, but it is an extant thing. Um, you know, Echo, the addition of Echo, the reframing of Kazi. There's a lot of different stuff here. Um, it's its own distinct thing. It's clear they pulled a lot of the good parts from it. And more specifically, they made a strong effort to be inclusive and to represent both hearing loss and deafness authentically and accurately. And for that, I cannot thank this show enough. Um, Some people have poo-pooed it and said it's not as good as other shows. I don't care. I I don't want to argue that. For me, it is special. It was another time in my life where I saw myself on the screen. And to be fair, we're kind of in a weirdly golden age of representation of people with hearing loss. Um, uh, I've seen like five years ago, I could count Hawkeye and that was it of positive role models. Uh, I even did a talk on that front about four or five years ago, and now there's maybe five or six I can think of. Um, So they're rapidly coming. There's Echo. There's Clint Barton in a Disney Plus series. Uh, there's a character in The Dragon Prince. Um, there's another character in a cartoon that is escaping me at the moment. Uh, but the point is, like, there's enough that I can't remember them all, which is huge. That That's a big change. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And I am continue to be excited when I see them. But it's still pretty rare. So that's why something like the Disney Plus series, something like this comic, can still be emotionally impactful because... God damn it it's it's something uh so with that um I hope that uh, all of this has been enlightening, uh, both just if you're a fan of comic books but also to hear what this stuff means to someone with hearing loss and uh, how that means what that means to me as a person um and something that Chris and I have talked about a lot is that we want to keep this focused on the the fun nerdy stuff, but we're not going to shy away from the fact that all art is political, and we're going to look at this stuff from our respective identities. And this is one moment where my identity really comes to shape how I view both of these pieces of media. Uh, so if you want to talk to me about uh, my hearing loss, about Disney Plus show, about the, com- the comic, about anything we've talked about on John Willis, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Pugsteady, that's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. You can find my website, com. You can find me on the DarklyHue Discord. And uh, I'm always happy to talk about this stuff because I have, much like Chris, part of my goal is to make sure I'm open and representing this identity uh, and make sure people understand some of these challenges and also just to encourage people to include this stuff in media more because we're cool too. So um, I hope you enjoyed this uh, mini-series of Speechless. Um, we might do another version of it. Chris is talked about possibly doing one. Um, I might do another one. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but for now, that's the end of this run. And so next week, we'll be back to John uh, Wallace and we'll be weekly with John for a while. So uh, look forward to that. And uh, I'll, otherwise, I will catch you all later.